Well, thank you for being patient with us in that uh, technical difficulty and singing anyways. Uh, but what a great uh, song, and I guess God didn't want us to sing it, uh, but we did anyways, to kind of lead us into our time in the Word, King of Kings. And, and I particularly love the fourth verse that we just sang. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free, for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. I asked BJ and the band to specifically sing this song uh, before the sermon this morning because I love how it talks about that first church in the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but every time we sing and we get to that part, I get emotional. I think about the amazing ministry that the first church had. The Holy Spirit established it and empowered it to, uh, uh, to spread through all the earth. And I think about the amazing privilege that we as Mount Calvary Church have to be as part of God's universal church and still that same mission to take the gospel to the world. And so what a great way to kind of introduce um, our, our sermon this morning. My name is Jonathan Whitmer. I am the associate pastor here at Mount Calvary Church. And I'm excited to continue in our series called The Devoted Church, a series that we've been looking at the first church and to see how do we measure up um, with the first church as Mount Calvary Church. And so we've been looking at the first church in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And so I thought we'd start off this morning just with a little review, just a little background, just to make sure we're up to speed exactly what is happening as the first church is starting. And in Acts chapter 1, we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has been with his disciples, with his followers for 40 days and teaching them and talking with them. And now he ascends into heaven. But before he returns to the Father, he tells them to go to Jerusalem, to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. So about 120 of Jesus' followers, his disciples are there in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And while they're waiting there, they decide, you know what, we need to replace Judas. And, and so they, put, they pick Matthias to be one of the, the, the 12 apostles to take Judas's place. And so that's chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 of Acts, we see that uh, the Passover, is, the, the day of Pentecost is, is happening. It's arrived, the great and Jewish uh, uh, feast of, of, of celebrating the wheat harvest. And so anybody and everybody is in Jerusalem there to celebrate God's goodness to them and, and, and how God has blessed them in the harvest that year. And all of Jesus' followers were together. And they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon them with the sound of the wind and the, and, and the, and, and the picture of a fire coming down and, 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 and landing on them and, and enabling them and filling them. And they were speaking in other languages. And they were preaching the gospel. And the people were amazed because they were hearing these, these followers of Jesus pro, proclaim the, the gospel and the mighty works of God in their own languages. And, and, and some of the Jews and, and the devout other people must have heard the, the sound of the wind because they came to the, to the disciples and they were wondering what's going on. And they were curious and some were mocking them saying, oh, they're just drunk. They had too much wine. But this is what's happening here in the beginning. And we know that Peter gets up, right? Peter gets up as this crowd kind of gathers around and Peter gets up and he boldly proclaims the gospel. He boldly proclaims the gospel to the crowd. He said, God had made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we know that the crowd fell under deep conviction of sin. 
And they asked, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And we knew on that day, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you picture the sight of 3,000 people being baptized and, and how the church grown from 120 people to now over 3,000? It's an amazing thing to think about. The spiritual revival was very supernatural. And it was an amazing thing to see out of that revival there, out of that sermon, the first church was formed. The first church was formed. And last week, Pastor Matt read from a newspaper article about Mount Calvary Church and how Mount Calvary Church was formed. And it's really interesting reading to see, to see how Mount Calvary Church was, was formed. And we know that uh, you know, our church didn't start like the first church in Acts, Right? There wasn't 3,000 people that, that, that came to know Jesus, but the Holy Spirit moved and our church was started, right? Pastor Fall was, was the pastor of the Church of God and, 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 uh, and 75% of the congregation said, we want to keep him as our pastor, but the elders dismissed him. But he was called to, to the ministry and to the word of God and he was called to stay here in Elizabethtown and he said, I'm not going anywhere. And so he started Mount Calvary Church in 1930. Almost 90 years ago, November 1930, almost 90 years ago. And our church was started by the work of the Holy Spirit through Pastor Fall and the people to come together and say, we want to be a church that focuses on the gospel, that takes the gospel to our community. And so now, as we're almost a 90-year-old church, we're, we're in this series, we're kind of trying to do a health checkup, right? We're trying to kind of gauge how healthy of a church are we? 90 years later. And so we're looking at this first church and seeing what, what was important to them. What did they stress? What did they focus on? And see how do, we, how do we focus on those things. Our desire in this series is to discover what the first church was devoted to and to try to determine if we are devoted to the same essential things. Last week we asked the question, does Mount Calvary Church look like the first New Testament church? Does it look like that church? And if it doesn't, what is keeping us from doing everything in our power to look like that church? What's stopping us from doing that? Are we a devoted church like the church of Acts? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll be predominantly there this morning. Acts chapter 2. And our text uh, for most of this series is, is Acts 2, 42 to 47. And Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And right in the beginning of these verses, we see the church was devoted. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves, which means they gave constant attention to something. 
They gave constant attention to something, uh, an ongoing and continuous focus that, that caused some action in their church. And last week, we looked at a few of those things. We said they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to truth, to biblical teaching. They gave that their constant and continuous focus to the word of God. We also said last week that they were devoted to the fellowship with one another. So those are things that they gave attention to that we talked about last week. When the Spirit of God guides and directs the church, the Word of God is its foundation. And it welcomes all to come and have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and, and to fellowship with one another. And so that's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to talk about the next thing that a devoted church needs to focus on. And that next thing is it needs to be devoted, devoted on worship the worship of God. Now, worship is ascribing worth to something, right? Worship is is ascribing worth to something, and and biblical worship turns turns our affection towards God. It says, God, you are worth everything, so I'm going to give you my affection, my attention, and I'm going to worship you with my life. The Church of Acts, the first New Testament church, was devoted to, to worship. They gave constant attention and continuously engaged in the worship of God. Now, we use the word worship uh, uh, oftentimes to say, hey, you know what, that was a great time of worship before the sermon, right? We often, we often say that that's something that kind of focuses on our singing. We come together and we sing, and that's part of worship, but that's not the only part of worship. And this week I was, I was reading a little about worship, and I love how Austin Stone Church's worship ministry describes what worship is. It says, biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands to who God is and what he has done. It's knowing who God is and what he has done, believing it is true, and allowing it to impact, to direct our daily activity. So head, we know who God is. Heart, we believe that, that, that we believe he is who he said he is. We put our faith and trust in him in hands. It impacts all of our life. We worship God with all of our life. That's what worship is. And we live in a, God, we live in a world that knows how to worship, right? And it's been amazing this last week to watch our world worship. Last Sunday, we got the tragic news that Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. And I watched as, as many of, of his fans flocked to the Staples Center, where he used to play basketball for the Lakers. And, and they kind of put together this makeshift memorial, all these flowers and pictures and candles and jerseys and posters and notes and everything. And they went there to grieve and to express their love for Kobe Bryant. They were there, they, they, they were you know, expressing their affection to who he was and how much they appreciated him and how much he impacted their life. And this kind of devotion shouldn't surprise us, right? Because God has created us to worship, to worship him. But when sin entered the world, we worshiped anything and everything but God. But biblical worship is when we put our affection, we put our attention to who God is. When we worship the creator and not the things that he has created. The first church was a worshiping church. And they worshiped in two locations. 
In, in Acts 2.46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. We see they formally worshipped in the temple courts. They didn't stop going to the temple. They gathered in the temple courts. They went there to preach the gospel. They went there to pray. I don't think they continued to go there to offer sacrifice for their sin because Jesus had just gone to the cross. He was the, he was the sufficient sacrifice for sin for all time. So they didn't need to continue to offer the sacrifices, but they continued to go to the temple to preach the gospel, to pray. And so they formally got together to worship in the temple courts. But they also informally worshiped in their homes. They supplemented the temple services as they gladly and generously gathered in each other's homes, sharing a meal together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, uh, challenging one another to live out their faith. And so they worshiped in two locations, in the temple and in, the, and, and in homes. In Acts 2 here, it talks about, it describes their worship in two different ways. It says, first, their worship was joyful. Their worship was joyful. And obviously, they had a lot of joy in their hearts. Acts 2.46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Praising God. They were glad. They were filled with joy. They were praising God. And they had lots of things to be joyful about. Just think about this, this first church. They had, they had seen Jesus go to the cross and die for their sins. They'd seen him rise again from the dead. They'd seen him spend time with him after he rose again from the dead. And now he's gone back to heaven. And they've experienced the Holy Spirit come and indwell them and be their helper, like, like Jesus said was going to come in, in the book of John, I think chapter 14. And so they had a lot to be excited about. They had a lot to be joyful about. They saw the Savior. They saw him go to the cross and die for their sins. They saw him rise again. They saw him return to heaven. They saw the Holy Spirit come and fill them and empower them. They had lots of things to be joyful about. Lots of things to be joyful about. And we know that when the believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's at work producing joy, right? The fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits is joy. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your surrounding. It's based on your Savior. We have a Savior that no matter what we're going through, he is with us. He loves us. He cares for us. And so the Holy Spirit is producing that, that, that fruit in our lives, according to Galatians 5. So the first church worship was joyful, but it was also reverent. Look at Acts 2.43. It says, And all came upon every soul. And all came upon every soul. All means fear or reverence. Think about this a little bit. They have seen God in the flesh. Jesus had come to earth and they have seen him. They have spent time with him. They have listened to him. They, they have listened to his teaching. They interacted with God the Son. They watched him return to heaven and they saw the Holy Spirit come and indwell them. And, and so there's this great reverence and, and respect because they're in the presence of God. They've been with Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling, and they have been in his presence. And so the only response that they can, can have is to bow down in reverent worship to him. We have seen the Savior. He has been with us, and now the Holy Spirit is with us. And so the only thing we can do is just in reverence and respect, just worship him. The amazing thing that we get to have a relationship with him. And so there was two, they, they worshiped in two different ways. It was joyful 
and it was reverent. It was a good balance of each. It was a good balance of each. And finally, finally, the first church had two aspects of worship. Two aspects of worship. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. One of the first elements of their worship was this idea of the breaking of bread. And what is the breaking of bread? What is it? There's lots of different thoughts. Some people say that, well, the breaking of bread, that's they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. Some people say, no, the breaking of bread is simply they just got together in homes and they, and they had a meal together and they encouraged each other in the faith. And some say it's both. And as I was studying this week, you know, John MacArthur says it's communion. It's the Lord's Supper. Warren Wiersbe says, nope, it's just a, it's just a regular meal that you, that you have with believers. And lots of commentators say, you know, I think it's both. And you know what? As I've been studying and thinking, I think it's both too. I think, I think there's both of those aspects in this. And when we look at this, um, the breaking of bread probably refers to regular meals. But at the close of each meal, they probably paused and celebrated the Lord's Supper. And it makes sense because in, in a Jewish meal, it's, it's normal to have wine and to have bread so that it was there and they could, they could pause and they could remember what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. When the believers met together in their homes and they regularly enjoyed a meal together and celebrated the Lord's Supper and communion, the memorial of the Lord's death and resurrection until he returns was a central theme in the believers' worship in the first church. It was a central theme of their worship. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense, right? Because Jesus had just been with them, and then he returned to heaven. And so it makes sense to come together and to celebrate around the table that, that what Jesus did on the cross for them and the fact that he is coming again. And I can imagine as the church is starting and as they're, as they're trying to grow and as they're trying to minister, I can imagine they're like, you know what? We want Jesus to come, and we want him to come now. Like, we liked it when he was here and he said he's coming again, so we're going to pause and we're going to remember what he's done and we're going to look for him to come again. It makes sense that they would do that over and over and over again because he was just with them. He was just with them. And Luke wrote about Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper when he met with his disciples for the last supper before the cross, right? In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, tells us that Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten it, saying, this cup is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was telling his disciples what was about to happen, right? He was, he was telling them, you know what? I'm going to give my body and shed my blood for, for your and our sin so that, so that they and we could be forgiven, when Jesus gathered together on that last supper before he went to the cross, he, he started the Lord's Supper. And he was saying, hey, you know what? I'm about to go to the cross, and I'm about to die for your sin. And I want you to continue to celebrate that, to continue to remember that with this Lord's Supper until I come again. I want you to continue to do that so you focus on what I've done and the fact that I'm going to come again. <clears throat> Communion is a reminder of what Christ did for us on the cross. He took our place and paid for our sin. It's also a statement of faith, believing, saying we believe that Jesus came, that he died, 
that he rose again, that he returned to heaven, and he's going to come again to set up his kingdom. Communion reminds all believers that we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God in Christ. It acknowledges the amazing work of Jesus on the cross for our sin. It helps us remember that we are united in Christ because as a church, we come together to celebrate, to remember what Jesus did for us. And it also gives us an opportunity, allows for us to self-examine our lives, to pause and to pray and to purify our lives by confessing our sin. So the breaking of the bread, I think, is both. I think they celebrated communion. I think they got together in homes and shared a meal, and, and, and they, both of those things happened. And so the question is, how are we doing with these at Mount Calvary? I think we're doing a good job incorporating both of these ideas <clears throat> here at Mount Calvary Church. Later today, about once a month, we're going to come to the table. We're going to pause, and we're going to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It's an important part of what we do in our worship. It's important for us to focus corporately the fact that we can't save ourselves, that we need a Savior, and Jesus is it, and he saved us from our sins. And so it's important that we come and we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us when we come and celebrate communion. But I think we also do a good job of coming together and breaking bread with other families in our congregation. And oftentimes this happens in life groups, right? It happens in our life group ministry. And I was thinking about our life group ministry, and I was thinking about uh, my time in our life group ministry, and I was thinking about my first life group experience. And, uh, and it was a meaningful experience. A lot of us in that life group were young, with young kids or having kids, and, uh, and, and we had a, an, older, uh, an older couple with teenagers, and then we had a grandma in the group. And I remember uh, coming together, and the grandma would sit on the couch, and she would hold baby after baby that was being born into those families, and she loved that. I mean, she had a, a smile from ear to ear, and she, you know, and, and all of us who were having kids were happy because we were exhausted, and we've held them all the day. And so here you go. You can hold this baby. And I remember sitting there and, and watching and listening to this older couple interact with their teenagers, wondering and thinking and hoping I hope I have a good relationship with my teenagers, my kids when they get to be teenagers. I mean, it was a really, really meaningful experience, that first life group. And I think about my current life group that I'm in right now. And our current life group is made up of families from kids from preschool to a senior in high school. And yes, both of those kids are mine, the preschooler and the, high, and the senior in high school. And, uh, and, and we're talking about parenting and we're going through uh, uh, Tripp's book on parenting, and it's been so, so encouraging because if I'm honest, I feel like on a daily basis, I am blowing it as a parent. And so it's so encouraging to support and to encourage one another and, and, and to, to, to kind of make sure that we, we renew our focus on why we're being parents. Why are we parents? To point our kids to Jesus Christ, to pray for each other, because parenting's hard. And so I think we do a great job of coming together and, and breaking bread and encouraging and praying for one another in life groups. But I realize that maybe life group doesn't work for everybody in our congregation. That maybe this time of life's too busy or you don't have time for it. And so in your bulletin, some of you hopefully, I saw some of them dropping out of your bulletins as you were walking in. But we put a little, um, put a, put a little insert for dinner for eight-ish. 
And the idea is this. We picked three days here in the next few months that, that uh, if you would w- want to come together to meet some new people in our church, to kind of break bread together, to encourage one another, to build some new relationships, this is an opportunity. You can sign up online uh, to be part of that. We need some people that are willing to host and some people that just want to be part of it. And we'll get all those names We'll put the groups together. It'd be kind of like fantasy football draft. We'll put those groups together, and, uh, and here's where it is. Eight adults, the ish is the children part. You're welcome to have your children with you, or you don't have to have your... That's up to whatever group you want to do, whatever group wants to do. But it's just a great way for kind of us to get to know one another, to break bread with one another, and to build some relationships, encourage each other in our faith. And so if you're interested in that... Uh, go online, follow the link here, and you can learn a little bit more about it. Or if you have any questions, you can see about it. And, and I can't take credit for this idea. This, this idea was kind of Genesis. Pastor Matt was talking uh, from a conversation he was having with Kelly. And Kelly was talking about our, the old fellowship meals. You guys remember the old fellowship meals? Some of you have been here a long time. Uh, we were just with, with a family that used to go here over Christmas and spent an afternoon with them, and we got to talking about a fellowship meal that we spent together. So we used to have a group of people get together at somebody's house and share a meal together. And dinner, dinner for eight-ish is kind of like the new version of the fellowship meal. And, uh, but it's a great way to get to know people, to break bread, to encourage one another in your faith. And so, so there's an opportunity that, hey, if you say, hey, life group is maybe a primarily way we do that, but if you're too busy or, or, or you just haven't gotten into a life group yet, this is a good first step to do that. We'd love to have you as a part of that. We'd love to have you as a part of that. So that's breaking the bread. That's the first aspect of, of worship in, in the first church. And the second aspect is prayer. The first church was a praying church. And the basic definition of prayer is talking with God. Prayer is talking with God. I read this about prayer this week as I was preparing. Prayer is the Christian's way of communicating with God. We pray to praise God to thank him, to tell him how much we love him. We pray to enjoy his presence and tell him what's going on in our lives. We pray to make requests, to seek guidance, to ask for wisdom. God loves this exchange with his children just like we love our exchange with our own children. And I read that and I thought about my Wednesday this week. Wednesdays I usually spend with my youngest, my three-year-old, Wesley. It's Wesley Wednesdays in our house and I get to spend time with him and And every Wednesday, I'm faced with this choice. Do I put a video on for him to watch, or do I engage and actually play with him? Because he won't play by himself. As much as I say, hey, go play. You know, you have all these toys over there. Go go play with something. No, Dad, I don't want to do that. I want to watch a video, or you play with me. So I'm faced with the dilemma, right? And uh, so this week, I decide, you know what? Well, okay, we're going to play. But we need a plan. What are we going to do? I thought, you know what? I have all these Duplo blocks. Wesley, let's, let's build some hideouts and some forts for your superheroes. Yeah, Dad, that's a great idea. And so we gathered all of our Duplo blocks together. We actually went and got a few more Duplo blocks with his, with his Christmas money, because I wasn't going to buy them for him. But he was like, Dad, let's go to Target and get some more. I have money. All right, sure, <laughs> sure. And so we spent a few hours building forts First superheroes. And in those hours building together, I heard things like this. Dad, help me do this. I can't do this. Can you help me? Dad, thank you for building with me. Thank you for getting me these blocks. Thank you for playing with me. And I, and I heard him tell me about school 
and what he's learning and what he's doing and, and about his friends. And he tells me about his birthdays coming up at the end of the month and, and what he wants for his birthday. And he tells me about that a lot. And it changes frequently. But I couldn't help but think that kind of interaction with my son is kind of like our interaction with prayer to our God. We go to him and we say, Lord, help me. Help me with this. We go to them and say, God, thank you. Thank you for doing this. We go and we express what's on our hearts, what's on our minds, what's, what we're, what, what, what's important to us, and he listens to us. Prayer is so important, and it was important to the first church. Paul Tripp says, prayer is abandoning a life of demand and complaint, recognizing undeserved blessing and giving myself to a life of thankfulness. In prayer, you bask in the wonder that you actually do have a heavenly father. You find joy in the reality that he has chosen to give you his kingdom. Here in the text, it says the prayers, which seems to suggest that there were some specific prayers, probably that they continued to participate in the set times of prayer at the temple. After all, in Acts 3.1, just a few verses later, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So the prayers probably were those set prayer times at the temple But it also could suggest Luke's desire that whenever Christians came together, when they met together in homes, they would spend time praying with one another. They would spend time praying with one another. The reality is the first church practiced both free and formal times of prayer. They formally prayed corporately when they gathered together at the temple. But they also freely prayed in their homes they prayed without ceasing as they carried out their day. They, they were the original prayer wars because they were engaging in spiritual warfare. They were engaging in spiritual warfare. They were trying to carry out the mission that God had given them. And war is serious. It's serious. I remember when I was in high school watching when the United States went to war, the Gulf War, went to war against Iraq because Iraq invaded Kuwait. And I remember, it was kind of a weird kind of thing. I remember tuning in at night that first day to watch the war on TV. It was just crazy. It was like, I've never experienced anything like that before. And I was expecting to tune in to see these tanks and, these, uh, and all these men in the army kind of marching in, invading Iraq. And it was nothing, it was nothing like that. I watched a kind of a green kind of dark screen uh, the, kind of the sky over Iraq that night, and I watched it light up with airplane lights and, 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 and guns and missiles and explosions. Most of that war was fought in the air. And for the first church, they called in the air support. They prayed and called on the power of the Holy Spirit to help them complete the mission that God gave to them to take the gospel to the world. The first church was a pray-first church. The first church was a pray-first church. And they prayed to God to help them win the battle. And the gospel spread to the world. The gospel spread to the world. If you look through the book of Acts, you'll see time and time again where they, where they prayed first. They prayed first when they were waiting in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit in Acts 1. They prayed first when they were choosing another leader, Matthias, to take Judas's place in Acts 1. They prayed first when they began their first church service together here in Acts 2. They prayed first when they faced opposition in ministry, when they were told to stop preaching, when Peter and John were told to stop preaching, and they prayed and asked God to give them strength. 
in Acts 4. They prayed together when they faced difficult challenges. When, when Peter was in prison, they were praying for him in Acts 12. They prayed when they sent out their first missionaries, Ball, uh, Barnabas and Saul, in Acts 13, 2. And they prayed when they appointed or selected leaders of the new churches that they planted in Acts 14, 23. The first church was a praying first church. Praying first church. The attitude affected all that they were attempting to do in ministry and all who were ministering. That was just a focus of their, of their, of their lives and, and a focus of their ministry. They realized that they couldn't do it without God's help, and so they paused to pray regularly. So how are we doing at being a praying church? How are we doing? Well, can I first off and say that I think every church could do better at praying? Just like I believe that every believer personally could do a better job in their prayer life. I think we all could do better. But I think as a church, we offer a lot of different ways that you can pray. We, we come together to pray corporately. We pray on a Sunday morning, and, and as you'll see in, in, in the bulletin and, and, and kind of coming up here in the spring, we have a few different events specifically focused on prayer. Pastor Matt talked about one of them this morning. We're going to have this, this uh, uh, Be the Church Sunday in the end of May, and so we're going to come together on February 23rd to pray to pray that God would give us an opportunity to reach our neighborhoods for Jesus Christ and to pray for that event there in the last week of May. And so we're going to come together and pray for that and pray that God would enable our ministry and do great things through us in that ministry. We're going to come together on the National Day of Prayer, and that evening we're going to come together and we're going to pray. And so we, we do offer times to pray corporately, but we also offer times to pray in smaller groups. Our women's ministry, they get together on Bible studies and, and pray. They have their own focused prayer time. In life groups, we come together and, and we pray for one another. In, a, in our trail groups, men, we come together and we pray for what's going on in our lives. In our small groups on Sunday night with students, we get together and we pray uh, for, for the important things that are, that are uh, uh, important in our, in our students' lives. We pray in smaller groups. And we also pray personally. We also pray personally. Pastor Matt talked about our prayer team. We have a prayer team here that if someone gives us a prayer request, that we send it out to our prayer team, and they personally pray for those requests. And if you'd like to be part of that prayer team, you could take a connection card, write your email on the back of it, and say, you know, I want to be part of the prayer team, and we'll add you to that. You can, you can be part of that uh, prayer team and personally pray uh, for, uh, for things that are happening. And personally, when I think about prayer, I realize that I can do a better job at praying. And I, and I was talking to Ray about this this week, and, and, and we were talking about, hey, you know, I want to get to the point where someone, when someone asks me to pray for them, that I want to pause right there. I just want to pause right there and pray, pray for that request, that, that I want that to be normal in my life, that I would pause and pray for, for whatever we're just talking about. And can you imagine that as we gather here on a Sunday morning and we look out and, and as, we, as we welcome each other before or after the service, and, just, and if, if we would incorporate that in our life and see people, you know, maybe sharing what's on their heart and just some of, you know, throughout the sanctuary, pausing and just praying with one another, that would be an awesome sight to see. That would be an awesome sight to see. But the first church was a pray-first church, and it made sense. They had a huge job ahead of them, and they realized that, you know, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus' help. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need God to empower us through, uh, through prayer. And so they, they spent a lot of time in prayer, and we need to do the same as well. We need to do the same as well. If we're going to be like the first church, 
we're going to be faithful like the first church. We need to break bread together. We need to, we need to come together and encourage one another. Come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we need to pray. We need to pray corporately. We need to pray in smaller groups. We need to pray personally that God would enable us and use us to do what he wants us to do to spread the gospel to where he's placed us. We come together in a trail group on a Thursday morning, and, and it's always amazing. We gather a few guys, and we scatter after that Thursday and go four different directions. And oftentimes, we pray in that group as we're going in four different directions that God would give us an opportunity wherever he takes us to be a testimony for him. The first church was a pray first church. It was a church that stops and celebrated what Jesus did for them on the cross, that they came together and shared meals and encouraged one another. And we need to do the same here at Mount Calvary Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just the opportunity to look at what your first church looked like, to kind of hold up the first church here in Acts 2 and, and kind of take Mount Calvary Church and, and see if we measure up. And Lord, we need your help. We want to be the church that you desire us to be. We know that you've placed us here in Elizabethtown for a reason. We know that, uh, that, that you want to use us to do great things for you here in Elizabethtown. And so, Lord, we pray that, uh, that, that we would be a church devoted to your word. We'd be a church devoted to fellowship, and we'd be a church devoted to worship. That we'd worship as we, we celebrate and remember what you've done for us on the cross at the Lord's table. That we'd worship and we come together and, and around the table and encourage and, 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 and point each other to you and, and encourage each other to follow you. That we would be a church that worships you and spending quality time in prayer. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have, not only to be part of your family, to be part of your church. Thank you that you're not done with us yet. And Lord, give us the wisdom we need to follow your lead and be faithful to what you're calling us to do here at Mount Calvary Church. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess the best way to finish our, 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 our morning this morning, as we talked about breaking the bread, is to come to the Lord's table. To come to the Lord's table and to, and to remember what Jesus Christ has done. And as we come to the table, I just want to invite you, if you are here and, and, and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're part of his family and we invite you to partake of the table. You don't need to be a member of Mount Calvary Church to take this. You just need to be a part of God's family and have a relationship with him. And so we ask that, that you celebrate with us and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. As the elements are distributed, just a reminder that there are two cups stacked on top of each other. So make sure you get two cups, the, the crackers in the bottom cup and the juices in the top. And, and as, as we distribute them, we're going to give you some time just for some reflection. But, uh, uh, but again, I just want to read um, something that I said earlier this morning that I think is just a great way for us to kind of think about this time as we prepare our hearts uh, for celebrating this together. It says, communion reminds all believers that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God in Christ. That's why we celebrate, because we can't save ourselves. Jesus did that for us. It acknowledges the wondrous work of Jesus on the cross for our sin, but it helps us remember that we are united in Christ because we celebrate it together as his church. 
So we remember what Jesus Christ has done at communion, but we also celebrate that we get to be part of his church here at Mount Calvary Church. And it allows for self-examination, to pause and purify our lives and confess any sins. And so as the elements are being uh, distributed and the music plays, I encourage you to take some time and just ask God to examine your heart and your life and make sure that, uh, that you're right with God and that you confess any sin uh, that maybe he brings up to, to mind to you that, that you need to deal with and then uh, join and celebrate with us together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that, that we have to celebrate what you did for us on the cross. Lord, help us never forget that there is nothing good about us and we could never save ourselves. But you and your amazing love for us sent Jesus to die in our place for our sin and rose again. And through faith in him, we can, we can have a relationship with you for both now and for eternity. And so, Lord, we come together and we come to this table and, and we say thank you and we celebrate what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.